0: Alright, good. It's working. And we are recording. Recording On in progress. Tuesday, March 7th, 2023, at 3 14 p.m. Eastern time. Claire and I just became uh mortal blood enemies. I was telling her about how great a, how, how great my parents' sauna is, and she said it would sound awful. And I said it feels like a nine-hour massage. And she said that would also sound awful. So there is now a great schism between me and Claire. We are no longer friends. That's all uh we'll, we'll
1: get over it. We'll we manage. Will,
0: we will we will make amends. With that, uh, Miss Lopez, and again, everybody go to the description, go to their websites, Twitter, readings, all that good stuff, or writings. Um, what I did want to ask you about is we threw out some topics the other day. I think two would kind of be cool to cover today because they kind of blend in together, and it's Russia neo-empirical ambitions, as well as I think in the last week, and I think I have the term correct, is a Russian-China, quote, military technical alliance. I don't know if that's the exact term, but it was some weird cryptic euphemism term that I saw over the weekend. Um, Could you maybe expand on either of those, neo-empirical or the Russia-China?
1: Yeah. So let's begin with the first one. Um, The first thing to understand, I think, is that uh, neither China nor Russia today is a country. Each of them is in fact, an empire of conquered people, conquered over centuries of warfare. Um, They're not, uh, you know, unit ethnic uh, people. Um, You can say that, you know, countries in Europe like Italy and France and Britain were made up of, um, you know, various principalities um, in, in, in centuries past. Um, But, you know, they eventually joined together and you can say now the Italians are one people, right? Well, the Chinese are not. The Chinese are Manchus and Mongols and Cantonese and Uyghurs and Tibetans. And they're very different people, ethnically, linguistically, and every other way. And the same goes for Russia, too. So to call each of those, you know, a neo-empirical Uh, power today is simply to acknowledge how they got to where they are today, to be what they are, and and to acknowledge that they continue um, in the current century on the pathway of centuries past uh, to seek to enlarge their empires. It's quite simple, really. So to Russia specifically, um, it um, has, in the past, of course, been much larger as a Russian empire, as a Soviet Union. Um, The current ruler in the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin, of course, is famous for having said that the worst disaster of his lifetime was the dissolution of the Soviet Union back in 1991. Um, And he's repeated in in many places and times, writing and in in speeches, that he intends to do everything possible in his lifetime, to reassemble uh, the Soviet Union, or uh, at least those parts of it that that uh, were under its uh, power and influence, uh, if not the Russian Empire itself, and he's also said multiple times that he does not consider um, national sovereignty um, to to be um, a legitimate uh, defense against conquest, essentially. Um, And that the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian nation um, has no right to exist as an independent nation state, uh, despite, of course, the fact that it is a full-fledged member of the United Nations um, and, uh, you know, that it has uh, established certain sovereign national borders uh, per the Westphalian Treaty of 1648 um but ukraine like moldova now watch keep an eye on that that place has a sliver of its eastern territory that the russians previously have invaded uh and in which the russians have um sought to stir up separatist sentiments uh for moldova it's the transnistria region and of course in ukraine it's the donbas the um Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts, which um, Russia claims for its own, uh, just because it wants to. I mean, it, it has no right to them. It has no, um, you know, claim to national sovereignty over the Donbas. But it says, well, there are ethnic Russians there who speak Russian, so we ought to be able to just march in and take it. And you know, in some exchanges I've had on social media, I've said, well, you know, what if uh, the Chinese were to invade? Uh, the United States uh, in the near future, and slice off, you know, Oregon, Washington State, California, and, um, you know, then uh, claim it, claim that for for its own, and then um, some other country uh, decides to step in and negotiate on our behalf, the United States' behalf with China, um, about that the the western states about our west coast and um you know come to the conclusion that you know we ought to just give up the west coast i mean maybe some of us wouldn't mind letting some of that go but, but nevertheless stay stay with me here um, that that we should just allow the west coast to go to china and then try to reassure idaho and montana and i don't know nevada and utah and arizona that they're going to be just fine, just, you know, calm down, it's all good, you'll be fine. Uh, would that make sense to anybody? But it doesn't to me. So that's neo-imperialism, as I see it, um, in particular about Russia, um, also China. So...
0: It kind of is a... Uh, <clears throat> I was going to say sad, but I suppose it, it is emotionless, it's neutral. It's It kind of pays tribute to... Uh, Power comes from the barrel of a gun.
1: That's what Mao said, didn't he? He did. And like, you had a second part to your, your uh, opening there that you were asking me.
0: The Chinese-Russia uh, military- The Russian- lines? Oh,
1: Axis or Alliance or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. what I wanted yeah. to, to get to next. I'll Google, right. it.
0: I'll Google it right now as you're talking so I get the term correct.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, in any case, we know that um, back in 2022, before the Russians launched uh, their invasion- um, of uh, Ukraine, um, the Russians and the Chinese, uh, Putin and Xi, Xi Jinping, the ruler of China, um, issued a joint statement that you know they were BFFs forever. And um, what we've seen since then um, is is not quite maybe all the the uh, hoopla was was billed to be at at the time then in early February of 2022. Um back up, we were just mentioning Mao, back up to Mao's takeover of China in 1949. Um, and at that time, China was a backward country, poverty stricken, hit repeatedly over, well, the centuries by famines. People faced starvation on a regular basis, uh, not technologically advanced or developed. Uh, economy in shambles, all of that. And Russia uh, at that time was more advanced in in each of those areas that we've mentioned. Um, But since then, it's been a complete flip. And today, even though both Russia and China face a demographic death spiral, because in Russia's case, they have more abortions than children born alive, Uh, And in China, the decades of the one-child policy and the female infanticide and um, selective abortions of female babies left China uh, without women, essentially, and today there are something like 30 or 40 million uh, Chinese young men who cannot find a wife, who will never have children or a family and they call them bare branches for that reason. Um, It is said by some who calculate these kinds of demographics that China uh, will have a population roughly around equal to that of the United States by the end of this, the 21st century, imagine that. They're supposedly at 1.4 billion today, maybe. So despite China and Russia both in a demographic death spiral, as I said there, um, the, the roles have, have switched places. Today, China is elder brother, Russia is younger brother. China is far more technologically advanced. I've heard Russia described as um, a gas station with nukes. It's a bit flippant um, and, and perhaps overstates the case But Russia does not have the dynamism, uh, the technological development, obviously doesn't have the military um, that it once had or was cracked up to have during, let's say, the Cold War years. But China does. Um, And so this, this alliance between them, whatever it amounts to, is an unequal one. And so far as china has been quite cautious i think kind of standing off expressing support for putin and for russia uh but not not really diving in you know with with all the support yes there have been financial arrangements behind the scenes for payment uh you know uh, mutual payments rubles and and uh um uh what do they call it uh rubles the, the Russians and, and,
0: uh, uh, Yen, Yuan.
1: Yeah. Yuan for the Chinese. So that helps out with their, their economic situation. Perhaps, uh, Russia provides China with petroleum products, oil, um, which China does not have much of in abundance. Uh, but it's China that's producing the technological goods, whether those be consumer goods or military. And um, it has not, China has not, uh, you know, offered um, yet to provide, um, you know, all kinds of military assistance to Russia. Supposedly that decision is under consideration now. Don't know if there's going to be a decision, you know, coming late uh, soon or not, um, about providing lethal military aid to Russia for use in Ukraine. But at the moment, they're not. Uh, they've provided other things, yes, um, like the financial arrangements, like uh, maybe intelligence, that sort of thing, um, but but not the lethal military aid that Russia is burning through at a rate um, that, that is not sustainable. So I guess the bottom line on all of this is that China, like the rest of the world, is watching what's going on Uh, between Russia and Ukraine, watching the Western world, Western Europe, NATO, United States come together in a way we perhaps didn't think would happen, uh, you know, back in 2022 and before uh, in such a situation, but coming together to support Ukraine, Uh, not just because it is the one that's been invaded, uh, bombed smithereens, population you know uh decimated uh its hospitals clinics kindergartens and apartment buildings um smashed with missiles not just because they are the ones invaded russia doing the uh, illegal invasion across national sovereign territorial lines but also i think there is and i hope this is true anyway But the the understanding of the recognition that what's at stake here, we're not talking about defending democracy or freedom in Ukraine. I mean, that would be great if that's that's part of the outcome. Yes. Um, And nobody is going to ever say that the leadership of Ukraine is a bunch of choir boys. Uh, They're not. But what's being defended, and I, I hope this is the understanding, is that the Westphalian nation state system, which is an ideal, often as not honored in the breach, but the ideal of a sovereign nation state with inviolable borders, ideally, again, that's the principle of the world order uh, that I think the rest of us, you know, want to defend for our children and, and grandchildren. And getting back to the first part of your question before, Russia and China are acting as neo-imperialist forces, you know, back in centuries of time to um, the emperors and the warlords that rampaged across the landscape, you know, with with none to stand against them and defend um, the people, defend, you know, the populations that were being overrun. But today we are, and and I think that's a good thing. Now, I was just at CPAC, the uh, conservative political action um, conference that's held annually, this one this year out at uh, National Harbor uh, in Maryland, just over the Potomac River from Virginia. Uh, three days of last week, um, the third, fourth and fifth of uh, March here, 2023. And um, there were a number of speakers there who did not follow, um, you know, the line of argument that I've I've just made. Um, Steve Bannon, for example, just roared <laughs> to the crowd. He had a lot of good things to say, and I like him very much. Um, but but on Ukraine, uh, he couldn't dump them in the trash bin of history fast enough if it were up to him. Um, and others like Tulsi Gabbard, same same kind of thought process uh do not see th- these do not see um that it's that it's a broader a broader ideal uh, you know a broader concept that that's being defended in Ukraine than just the nation state and the people of Ukraine which deserve their nationhood forging their nationhood in blood right now they deserve that but it's beyond that um, and it, what it goes to again, back to what Putin has said so many times, is that he gets to decide who's allowed to be a sovereign nation state, who's allowed to be an independent people that that makes their own uh, decisions, you know, frames their own policies, domestic and and uh, foreign policies. He gets to decide because because he, uh, he 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 declares that that they're not a, a separate people, they belong to Russia. Well, the opposite of that argument is what I, I would say we are defending, and that is um, that the sovereign nation-state system supersedes the globalist intentions of the neo-imperialists like Russia and China.
0: Do you think China is going to have... Well, I guess I guess my question is answered. If they're already meeting with Russia to discuss military aid, they've got to see that whatever happened to Russia would happen to them, right? Well,
1: that's where I was going with that exactly. And and perhaps part of the reason why Xi Jinping has been cautious to date uh, about going after Taiwan, which remains his objective, but you know he he won his third term to party uh, leadership of the. Chinese Communist Party last October uh, of 2022, and here we are now in March of of 2023, and he has not yet made that move, uh, I would suggest that at least part of his thought process and decision-making on that is exactly watching how the Western world came together and has more or less mostly remained together in defense of Ukraine's uh, right to to, to independence. Um, that cannot but be having an effect on Xi Jinping's thought process regarding Taiwan, I would think. Plus the United States uh, to, to, you know, credit where credit is due, the Biden administration has been strengthening um, ties with our East Asian partners and allies uh, like Japan, like South Korea, like the Philippines, of course, Taiwan um and and it, you know within the framework of 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 organizations of alliances um you know like the quad as it's called um india us japan australia uh and others uh, AUKUS, a u k u s uh us uk australia uh, strengthening the, these alliances beefing up defenses for taiwan beefing up military um agreements and and, uh, cooperation with the Philippines, another example. So, I mean, um, uh, Xi has has certainly been watching all of this. I, I can't help but think that's, you know, feeding into his thought process, yeah.
0: It just occurred to me then, do you think that, do you think that BRICS will suffer a blow if China goes further in with Russia? And they kind of become a combined entity, and thus are no.
1: Unfortunately, no, because I mean, BRICS holds together um, for, for many reasons. Some of them are ideological. The basis, perhaps, is ideological. Um, economic reasons as well bind those countries together. Uh, great big, you know, victories like. Um, Lula da Silva's takeover of Brazil. By the way, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the former president of Brazil brought the house down uh, at CPAC, speaking through a um, an interpreter, um, and uh, with lots of video footage of uh, his uh, campaign um, for president. But th- these these BRICS countries do hold together for, for many, many reasons. Um, but primary among them probably is is ideologically uh, driven thinking that opposes a world order indeed based on sovereign nation states and the leadership of that i would say free world by the united states post cold war period that holds them together uh, and, and and you know, so do uh, other agreements uh, like the Sao Paulo Forum comes to mind since we're talking about Brazil, uh, founded in Sao Paulo, Brazil back in the 1990s, um, with Brazil as a leading um, founder of, of that organization, obviously. But, um, you know, they're there to begin with bringing together the leftists, the communists, the Marxists, which Lula da Silva is a communist, a Marxist together with uh, you know Cuba, Mexico, and now look at a great big large part of Latin America has swung um, you know decidedly to the left, maybe not full-on communist yet, but certainly in a socialist direction. So those kinds of things hold them together, I think um, and I'm not I'm not sure that Russian aggression uh, against Ukraine, would diminish that glue that, that, that holds them together in bricks.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, the only thing I was thinking is, is if China went all in with Russia and then suffered global sanctions and military resistance, would that force something like India or Brazil to you know, go, eh, and kind of back out?
1: I, you know, I, I could see something like that perhaps happening with regard to India which is a very strong democracy, a democratic state um, uh, in a, in a, in a tough neighborhood to be sure, but I don't, I don't really see the others splintering apart. Maybe India could be peeled off um, working with United States, working with Israel um, and so forth with enemies on its border, you know, obviously Pakistan and China, but the others, uh, maybe not so much.
0: Speaking of Israel, um, uh, isn't Iran getting closer and closer to getting a nuclear weapon? Is Israel going to move on them?
1: Well, I mean, here, here's my take on it. I think we've, we we might have touched on this before. But, um, you know, reading back to to open source reporting, for example, from the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, which puts out a quarterly report from the Board of Governors um, about the Iranian uh, nuclear weapons program. Going as as far back as November of 2011, this is the one report I keep um, bringing up and and remembering because it was so very explicit, more so than any that I've seen before it or after of these quarterly reports. Describing the progress that at that time, 2011, okay, so that's uh, 12 years ago, uh, the progress that Iran was then making on the fashioning of nuclear warheads, um, fashioning, milling the uranium, that is enriched uranium, milling it into the hemispheres uh, that that fit together and and, uh, the exchange between them. Um, of the electrons setting off the neutron or the nuclear implosion sequence, Uh, that sequence being started off by multiple implosion points impacting on the outside of the sphere of the two hemispheres. Um, All that's described in the November 2011 IAEA report um, in, in, in quite a lot of detail and talking there also about outside assistance to the Iranian nuclear weapons program mentioning uh, Russia, for example. Um, And then you go ahead and you look at some of the documents that were revealed after the Mossad um, grabbed that heist of documents um, about the Iranian nuclear weapons program out of the warehouse located in, uh, or near uh, downtown Tehran uh, in January of 2016. <clears throat> and uh, you know, the later announcements from um then and now again Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about the contents of those documents, what's called the Ahmad Plan um for the um the development of nuclear warheads. Uh again, quite quite specific about um the progress they'd been making and and the objectives that they had no question in mind they were driving for a deliverable nuclear weapon many other revelations as well but those two stand out for me um and uh you know and then you've got the steady drumbeat over the last couple of years uh of the Iranian regime announcing breathlessly as the uh, international media i guess hangs on every word well now we've past 60%, now we are enriching to 84%. Um, it, it, I mean, they're playing with us, they're playing games with us and and, and the media and, and, and others uh, fall for it. Uh, in my opinion, at least based on those earlier documents that we've talked about, earlier information that's been made public, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that the Iranians have actually been building warheads for a number of years and testing them Probably an undeclared underground sites. Um, I would suspect. I mean, in my opinion, again, that they probably have a small handful. By that I mean five, six, seven, maybe. Um, but there's an interesting uh, fact that 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 we have to understand, and that is that uh, the IAEA and, and basically the international community does not recognize a nuclear weapon until that warhead is actually affixed to the nose cone of a delivery system uh, that is a, uh, a missile. And I would think that that is probably the red line for Israel, uh, that when Iran uh, begins to attach whatever warheads it may have to its missiles, which we know very well they have many of because they've tested them openly for years, At that point, with or without the United States backing or even consultation or or knowledge, um, Israel will have to defend itself. And anticipatory self-defense is enshrined in international law for centuries. So now with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, once again heading a coalition government in Jerusalem. I think everyone is just kind of on edge waiting and watching um, to see what Israel will do because it's very clear that the Biden administration here in the United States has no intention of stopping the Iranian nuclear weapons program. Quite to the contrary, in my opinion anyway, uh, is that uh, the Biden administration, by cravenly groveling on hands and knees to to plead with the Iranian regime to... Uh, Uh, re-engage on the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or nuclear Accord with Iran first agreed to in July of 2015, to revive that somehow, Um, that is evidence to me that they're not serious about stopping the Iranian nuclear weapons program, and by the way, also at a time when reporting is coming out, that there are Iranian hit squads, operatives on U.S. soil, here in our country uh, to assassinate former top U.S. officials like former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, like former National Security Advisor John Bolton, um, and very explicitly saying, well, we have the right to do this, uh, says Tehran, um, because revenge for uh, the January 2020 uh, takedown of then Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani. It doesn't seem to me that the Biden administration is the slightest bit serious about stopping an Iranian nuclear weapons program, um, which the JCPOA, as has been said before, gives them basically a glide path to international recognition legitimacy for that program. And this is the program, this is the agreement that the Biden administration wants to revive even while Iranian hit squads are on our soil gunning for our people, our top officials. So um, I think that um, uh, sadly, in in many ways, Israel stands alone right now, Um, not because Congress, not because the American people don't back them, we do, but that these particular officials in the Biden administration, many of which are retreads from the Obama administrations like Antony Blinken at the State Department and Jake Sullivan at National Security Advisor, um, the ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides, um, you know, they they all, um, they would just, they would, uh, in my opinion, again, I think they would like to see Iran go nuclear, and um, they have nothing but antipathy for the Jewish state of Israel or the current administration there of Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu.
0: Why is that? Is that is that is that anti-Semitism or is that just this kind of bleeding heart? Let's welcome Iran into the the global arena. What what's the you know, core of it? You
1: know, this goes back a ways, and I'll go back to the or the uh, the Obama administration again. Um, yes, it's anti-Semitism. I, I think so, um, but it's also this um, this world view, this Weltanschung, if you will, that America is a force for ill in the world. A view held by these officials from Obama's administrations now in the Biden administration, too. America is a force for ill in the world, not for good. Therefore, anything that can be done to take it down a notch or two is to the good. And we'll remember, you know, how um, you know, the Obama administration um provoked uh the the Islamic uprising across North Africa in 2020. 20- Uh, 10, 11, 12, um, deliberately sided with the Muslim Brotherhood and Al Qaeda militias uh, to take down Ben Ali in Tunisia and Muammar Gaddafi in Libya and Hosni Mubarak in Egypt. Why? Because they sided with our enemies, uh, with the Muslim Brotherhood, with Al Qaeda. Um, They wanted to see uh, Islam rise in the world and in particular, the region of Middle East, North Africa, and they wanted to see America and Western, well, let's, I mean, they are, Judeo-Christian principles diminished. This is their worldview. This is how they see the world. And now bring it forward, I think, again, my my opinion, um, that, that they see Israel um, much as they view Conservatives here in the United States, which is to say, um, bound to Judeo-Christian foundational principles of governance, um, and you know uh, defenders of 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 such principles as we find in our foundational documents—the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights—which are individual liberty, equality of all in human dignity before the law. Before the rule of man-made law, ours yes, based on Judeo-Christian principles, but nevertheless man-made law. Um, you know, and 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 these kinds of principles bind us and Israel together. Uh, and and these are the things, unfortunately, it, that it seems to me that uh, these these who who populated the Biden administration now in the the Biden administration, um, and and all too frequently populating the top levels of uh, our media, certainly social media um, and, uh, you know, government, um, you know, other institutions like academia uh, populate and dominate those, but they're not the majority. Uh, but they do control levers of power because of their domination of those institutions. And we're seeing it right now um, as people are in the streets over in Israel protesting against uh, the proposed reforms to the judicial system in Israel, uh, reforms um, that were part of Bibi Netanyahu's uh, platform as he campaigned for for, uh, prime minister last year. Um, Now presenting bills, packages of bills before the Knesset, the parliament, um, that would actually restore the balance of power between the executive branch in Israel and its um, uh, judicial branch, Uh, the legislative branch more specifically, and the judicial branch. Uh, Israel doesn't have a constitution. Um, They're one of the few countries in the world that does not. And uh, they have governed themselves mostly by um, the, the people's elected representatives in the Knesset, their parliament. Well, um, right now and for the last couple of decades, uh, the judiciary, the Supreme Court in particular in Israel, has seized, arrogated unto itself um, a, a tremendous amount of power, uh, declaring itself the authority to override bills passed by the Knesset. Um, to um, nominate and approve uh, and appoint its own judges, indeed, even its own successors with no input from the legislative branch, that is the Knesset, the people's elected representatives, and even claim the right to override um, decisions by the Israeli Department of Defense and the IDF, if you could imagine. Well, the packages of reforms that two-thirds of the Israeli people, per polling, support and want enacted, are now being promoted um, in, in bills packages by the uh, Netanyahu coalition government uh, in the Knesset. But guess who is funding and supporting and backing the people in the street uh, who want to bring down the the Netanyahu coalition and destroy this um you know, this set of proposed uh, um, uh, reforms to to the judicial system. Well, it's the United States Department of State. Can you imagine? Again, I'm going back to this worldview, how uh, Biden administration leadership views Israel and its leadership right now. And um, because the Israelis, of course, it's existential for them, oppose any revival of the JCPOA, that goes against biden administration policy and so biden administration in addition to its entire worldview of israel in the first place would like to help bring down the bb coalition which really has just begun um, but that that in a nutshell or maybe it's not such a it's a very big nutshell okay <laughs> um that that you know the way i see it the way that that this administration and and some of our uh leadership um you know across different institutions sees israel um and 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 sees it in the same way that they they look down upon um and mock with contempt um you know conservative american citizen patriots in this country
0: yeah and israel doesn't they don't care they're not going to wait around they've shown in the past no. that they, they don't they don't give a no they're, they're not they're waiting gonna get, they're um, going to go bomb them
1: yeah, there, there are I think as I understand it, two packages of bills that have been proposed to the Knesset by the Netanyahu um, administration. Uh, and folks may may or may not know this, but in in the Israeli system, uh, any bill to um, be enacted to, to be to be uh, enacted as law um, has to pass three readings and three votes. In the Knesset, spaced apart, you know, maybe a week apart or maybe a little more apart. One, two, three. Well, this, these packages of of judicial system reform bills, um, so far, uh, have passed one reading and one vote of approval in the Knesset. There remain two readings, two votes, to make them law. But yeah, they're pushing ahead with that. Um, and the overwhelming numbers of approval in the Knesset for the for the first reading, I think, look ahead to to similar uh, votes uh, for the remaining two that they have to do.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, there is a very apparent. You I mean either we are an, uh, a a force for ill? I think more easily is just a form of self hatred. That seems to be the pervading theme, and the entire, I guess, radical left is is a form of form of self hatred. It's never, I love this about me. It's I hate this. I hate. And I understand that that's a a very broad swath I'm, I'm painting it with, but yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. I guess the difference is is Israel's not going to roll over. They don't. They don't yeah. care. It yeah. is existential. It is it. The, when the enemy is, I mean, no mince words, just, you know, death to Israel, exterminate the Jews. There's no, there's no reading between the lines. It's, it's you or me. They're gonna, they're gonna go do it. They're gonna go drop some laser guided bombs. They're gonna send in the Mossad or Kidon, Like, they're not gonna wait and nor should they. And uh, yeah, good for them. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wait on the U.S. to, to yeah. back you. Just go do it. Who cares? But, but
1: people, I, I really would like people to take note of the fact that the U.S. Department of State um, is, is actually backing, not with humongous amounts of money, but funding in any case, our U.S. taxpayer dollar funding for a group called the Movement for Quality Government, MQG. A bit of an awkward name, but nevertheless... They are the ones that are the front uh, in Israel right now uh, for um, uh, promoting, funding, backing, enabling uh, these these protests in the streets. The, the, they're paying for the buses to get them to the rally points. They're paying for the banners and the placards and the signs they carry. Uh, they're paying for the stages and the sound setup where the speakers uh, get up and 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 rail. Uh, against the Netanyahu uh, reforms and so forth, uh, they're paying for that. Uh, the movement for for quality government, which is funded in part by the United States Department of State, is paying for that. Uh, that to me is is um, is is un um, it, it, it's 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 wrongful intervention in in Israelis uh, Israel's internal affairs uh, that. We have no business doing
0: that. I think it's I think it's willful and apparent and purposeful anti Semitism. It seems to be what it is. There's no you know, you can paint it up so many times before it's like Yeah, no, this is anti Semitism. It's just it's what it is. Yeah. It's really no again. Yeah, I
1: think so too.
0: Um Miss Lopez, we gotta wrap this one up. Um I have to make a call right after this. But thank you so much for doing this on short notice. And we sure. will we'll resume our regularly scheduled programming as always. And guys go into the description. Please follow Claire on Twitter. Just just do that. Just follow Claire on Twitter. Stop stop hating yourselves. Love Israel. Don't just go follow Claire on Twitter. That's the takeaway from all of this. Just go follow Claire on Twitter. Miss Lopez, thank you so much. Till next time. Take care thank everybody. You. Yes, ma'am. You, Take care everybody. God bless. Recording Stay safe. stopped. Thank you for watching. Peace.